I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. It's Revelation chapter 5. We'll read uh, the whole chapter, 14 verses there. And we'll be thinking about this chapter in connection to the Heidelberg Heidelberg Catechism. And specifically as it deals with the ending of the Lord's Prayer, that doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And in many ways we hear that um, echoed here in Revelation chapter 5 on a cosmic scale. Um, Revelation is a book filled with imagery and symbols um, that are meant to shock us and meant to cause us to see things as they truly are. And here in Revelation 5, the Apostle John is brought up into the heavenlies, and there he is before the throne um, of the Lamb of God, who receives all honor, glory, and power. And so again, Revelation chapter 5, we'll think about this in connection to the Lord's Prayer, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 52. But first we'll read God's word, Revelation 5. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So far from God's holy word, we're going to turn to the catechism in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal on page 896. Page 896, and we'll be looking at question and answers uh, 128 and 129. So I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answers. So question 128, how do you you conclude this prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
This means we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. Question 129. What does that little word, amen, express? Amen means this shall truly and surely be. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. So far from the catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, um, if you are uh, a careful reader of the Bible, uh, you'll notice that most translations include this prayer in a footnote. And the reason is that most of the early manuscripts that we have of the New Testament uh, does not actually contain uh, this doxology. And yet, as we, we still reflect upon it, because in many ways this doxology reflects other portions of Scripture. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And where people likely trace this is to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 29, verse 10. There we read that David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. So David being the king of Israel at the time. And David said to the Lord, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is, the, it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our Lord, and praise your glorious name. Right. So in many ways, the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, while it may not be original uh, to Matthew, it nevertheless reflects the truths of Scripture, whether here in First Chronicles 29 or, as we just read, in the book of Revelation uh, chapter 5. And for the time that we have remaining, I want us to reflect upon three elements in Revelation 5 in regards to this theme. And I want us to think about, firstly, the scroll, uh, second, the lamb, and then thirdly, the amen, as it provides us a kind of conclusion, uh, not only to the Lord's prayer, but a conclusion to everything that exists. Um, that to which everything that we are partaking of today and the entirety of world history is moving toward. The conclusion of this loud and glorious amen that resounds from around the throne of God to the farthest edges of creation. Um, what J John reveals to us here is of cosmic scope. And it also helps us then to think about our own prayers in light of what God is doing and will do um, for uh, eternity and for all things. And so let's think about that in relationship to those three things in Revelation 5. There's a lot more going on here. Um, would love to um, spend more time on it, but we only have about 15 minutes or so. So we'll keep things uh, concise. So Revelation chapter uh, 5, uh, it opens up with this scroll. Uh, if you notice there in verse 1, John says that he saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne who which is the Father, God Almighty, in his hand is a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, right? And so in the hand of the Father is this scroll that is sealed, it's closed, it's shut. 
And then, as John begins to see in verse 2, this mighty angel, uh, this powerful angel, issues forth this invitation, this decree. And he, and he proclaims to the heavens and to the earth and under the earth for somebody to step forth and open up this scroll. And as the angel's proclamation goes forth, there is cosmic silence. None in the heavens can step forward to be worthy enough to open up this scroll. None on earth can step forward and say that they can open up this scroll. And none under the earth can step forward. There is silence. And John then begins to weep. And you might say, well, why, why is John weeping? What's so significant about this scroll? Now, again, much more can be said, but the way we understand is that this scroll symbolically contains the plan of God for the judgment of his enemies and the salvation of his people. The scroll contains within it written God's plan. And in order for God's plan to unfold and open up and, and take place, in history, one must step forward to open up this scroll. And therefore, John, as he realizes that none is worthy to open up this scroll, begins to weep. He himself is undergoing great persecution for the sake of the gospel. He's serving the Lord, having been exiled to Patmos and there suffering and will soon be put to death. Is his dying, is his persecution, and is the persecution of all God's people then pointless? It certainly is if the scroll cannot be opened. And so John begins to weep. None can open this scroll. None can bring forth the plan of God to save his people, to to bring them into their inheritance of a kingdom of everlasting glory. And John begins then to weep. But then a great turn takes place, right? In the midst of the silence, in heaven and on earth, in the midst of the complete quiet, the angel makes this glorious proclamation. In many ways, he declares the gospel, uh, the good news. Notice what he says in verse 5, and rather not the angel, but one of the elders. Verse 5, it says, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So John now, in a great turn of events, it goes from weeping now to hearing the good news that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of, of, of Jesse, the son of David, who was promised long ago, has now come. And he alone is the one worthy and able to open up this scroll, to unleash and open up God's plan to save his people, to usher them into a kingdom of everlasting glory, and to judge his enemies. And so this excites John. This is good news to John's ears. And he hears of this line, but in in a very odd, again, turn, rather as he looks, he hears of a lion. But as he turns, it says, between the throne, verse 4, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. A stark contrast to a lion, right? A lion, fierce and strong. A lamb, quiet and and weak. And and so this begins to press us into the mystery of the gospel, right? He, He hears the good news, but now we are pressed into the mystery of the gospel. That God's plan 
is not carried forth by the strong of this world, by the mighty of this world, by the wise of this world, by the influential or the powerful in this world. But God's plan, to the surprise of everyone, is carried forth in what the world considers weak. Right? It's through a lamb that God's plan will come into fruition. It's through the lamb that God will accomplish his purpose. And not just through a lamb prouncing around, I don't know, just, you know, think of it like Mary had a little lamb, they're kind of just hopping around in a cute way. But this lamb that John speaks of and sees, as he says in the middle of verse 4, he saw him standing as though it had been slain. What John is seeing symbolically depicted is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came not in human might and strength and power and influence, but who came like a lamb. And he came not to overthrow, not to raise an army, but rather to lay down his life, to be slain. And the glorious mystery of the gospel is that through that, through him laying down his life for his people, he has become worthy and able to open up the scroll of God. Vern Poitras, in his very helpful small book on the book of Revelation, if you want a guide to this book, he writes this, he says, This vision in Revelation 5 sets forth in dramatic form the central paradox and mystery of the Christian faith. God achieved his triumph and delivered his people, not through the fireworks of military might, but through the weakness of crucifixion. It's through the death of Jesus Christ as a lamb slain, that the seal can now be opened. And John and us and all the people of God no longer need to weep, but we can rejoice. Even in the midst of John's own persecution and the church's persecution, even in the midst of the enemies that we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil, in the midst of all of that, we can rejoice because none can stay the hand of him who can open up this scroll. None can keep God's plan and God's purposes from now being accomplished. The Lamb has given us certainty. The Lamb has given us confidence and boldness that God's purposes, in fact, will be accomplished. And this has tremendous implications for our own prayer. I think it's, it, there's a reason we can end our prayer in the six petitions that we make before the Lord with For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is our boast. And that is our confidence. That all that we ask for, God will do. Because none can keep his purposes and his plans from being accomplished and fulfilled. The entirety of the Lord's Prayer, every petition that we bring before the Lord, has its certainty and its ground in the reality that John is revealing to us here in Revelation chapter 5. It's grounded in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is king, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has conquered. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he has conquered as a lamb that was slain. And so as we pray before the Lord, right, it's this reality that we have before us. As we pray before the Lord, and that his name be hallowed, right? It's, it's in light of this reality that his kingdom come, that his will be done, right? We pray with confidence that it will be. And that God will even use the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes. 
Now, of course, you might ask the question, does God then need our prayers? Well, not in one sense, no. But in the other sense, God has ordained it within his purposes that the prayers of his people might be the means by which he accomplishes his plans and his purposes. Your prayers are part of his purposes and part of his plan. And therefore, it makes us pray all the more fervently and all the more diligently and all the more confidently to boldly approach this throne with our petitions. And so we've so far looked at the scroll that must be opened. We then looked at the Lamb, who is now worthy uh, to open up these seals. And then we won't go into this, but just to kind of give you a sense of what's to come in the book of Revelation. Now that one is worthy enough to open up the seal, now that one can accomplish God's purposes and bring them to fruition, now, the seal begins to unfold in the, in the next few chapters in the book of Revelation. Notice Revelation verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Right? And so now the Lamb's going to open up these seals, and as he does so, various judgments and works of rescue and deliverance are going to be carried out on the earth. And again, much more can be said, but uh, before the, the lamb opens up these seals, before he, as he steps forward, praise is given to him as our final point. The, the amen that is declared in heaven and on earth. So the scroll, the lamb, and then thirdly, we're going to just think briefly about the amen that comes in verses 8 through 14. So as the one who is worthy steps forward, the lamb of God, we then read in verse 8, that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, symbolic of the people of God, the church, and also of creation, they fell down, or not just symbolic, but also representative of them. They fell down before the Lamb, right? He is the one who is worthy to be praised, the wor- worthy to be worshipped, to fall down before him. So they fall down before him, as it says, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Again, we see in the midst of all that is taking place, the prayers of the saints, symbolized by this bowl full of incense, is significant. It's the prayers of God's people in the midst of God accomplishing his purposes. And then from verses 9 to the end of the chapter, this chorus of praise begins to, to, to spread. It begins around the closest proximity to God's throne. It spreads further out until the furthest edges of creation are caught up in the praise of the one who is seated on the throne. John gives us a vision of the world in which not any person on earth No politician or president, no celebrity or athlete, right? Nobody is at the center of the universe other than the Lamb, right? That's John. John wants us to have that worldview, that vision of reality, that at the center of the universe is not myself, and it's no one who the world would put forward as important or as praiseworthy, but it is the Lamb of God who is worthy and the one alone who is worthy to open up the seals. That must be our vision, right? Even as we pray, even as we live our lives as Christians, right? It's knowing that at the center of all things, the heartbeat of everything is the Lamb. Everything revolves around Him and everything redounds to His glory and to his excellence, and to his praise. And so we see this on a cosmic scale unfold before us in verses 9 through 14. 
First, we see this sort of inner circle around uh, the throne of the Lamb beginning to sing a new song, a song of salvation and of redemption, a, a, a significant phrase, a new song. You see that in the Psalms. Again, we don't have time to look at it, but it's referring to God's new work of redemption, his new work of recreation. And around the throne, we hear that a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Right, and so this, the worthiness of the Lamb is, it has begun to, to issue forth these praises from around the throne of the Lamb. And then it goes further out. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, right? The heavens itself, full of angelic beings, begin to sing with a loud voice. And that might be an understatement. I'm curious just how loud the decimal level of this voice that is being sung in one choir. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's all encompassing. Everything of value, of worth, everything deserving of praise is fixed with laser beam focus upon the lamb. All of it belongs to him. And then finally, not only the heavens, are, but the earth itself is then caught up in this. And this choir that is heard from the earth has begun today in the church, as we ourselves gather every Lord's Day, right? When we sing the praises of God, as we sit here in worship, we are joining the heavenly choir. We're joining the heavenly worship of the one around the throne. This is the, the marvel of worship. That in the simplicity of all around us, it almost looks like we're in a cafeteria. In the midst of this, what this room looks like, we are caught up in the heavens. We're caught up in the loud singing of the myriads and myriads of angels. And we gather, not for any purpose of our own, but to worship the Lamb who is on the throne, that he might be exalted and praised. That's the purpose. It's like, why are we here? Why are we gathered? Why are we worshiping? Because the Lamb is worthy. And he has opened the scroll. And so the, the earth begins to be caught up in this today. And when Christ returns, the whole of it will sing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And in the midst of all of that, right, in the midst of this picture of, of where everything is heading, what more can we say? And what more, what more of a response can we have than to utter the word, amen? To utter the word, amen, to come into agreement by faith with that reality. As the catechism says, amen means this shall surely and truly be. And so as we come before the Lord in prayer, and as we come to the conclusion of the Heidelberg Catechism, as it brings us through the truths of Scripture, there is no more fitting note to end on than the final note of Amen. And that is the note that all of history will end on. That those who have rebelled against the Lord, that those who have continued to fight against Him rather than laying down their lives and finding the forgiveness of sins, they will be shown in the end 
to have pursued that which is empty, that which is nothing, that which was worthless. But as we follow the Lamb today, and as we worship Him today, when He comes again and on that final day, we ourselves, with, with a heartfelt exuberant amen, will recognize that living for Him and following Him, no matter the cost, was worth it. Living for His glory and His kingdom was worth it because that in the end alone possesses glory that is unending, glory that does not fade as we worship the Lamb slain but the one who is alive forevermore, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, what a joyful note uh, to know that in the midst of all of the chaos and all of the twists and turns of that this world has taken, and may and will take, that in the midst of all of it, you are on your throne, and that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who was slain and is now alive forevermore, is one worthy to have opened the scroll, and that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so, Father, as we look to that final end, may we then, by faith, continue on as pilgrims in this world, May we by faith look to him for strength and desire his kingdom and his glory more than the glory of this world. And so, Father, keep us focused on these things, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.